What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show presented by Direct TV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, the Fox Sports app, wherever it is you get your podcast. You're listening. If you are watching on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. It's very important and vainglorious of your boy, but he's trying to get to this 100K because they give you a little plaque when you get to 100K, and it's very important to me. But what is important to you is this is the November 23rd CFP ranking show. And hey, look, we have made history. You, I, we have made history. We're here for it. Look at this beautiful number four. Do you see this? Cincinnati finally getting the respect that G5 have been craving for seven years. At 11-0, it took week 12, baby. But we here right now. Cincinnati, you got America on your shoulders. Don't you dare lose the next two games. Don't, 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 don't you dare lose the next two games. I'm pointing at you, all right? Because your man's Desmond Ritter, not my man's, but your man's, absolutely went off in this demonstrative win against what I thought was an extremely good Southern Methodist team, okay? Tanner Mordecai and the boys have been absolutely destroying teams in the American in particular. They were the best offense in the American, and Cincinnati said, what offense? Not only are we going to shut that down, we're going to run it up. It was 27-0 at half. And you know what? Luke Fickle knows what time it is. He knows he can't afford to take his foot off the accelerator. They got to keep it in fifth the whole way through. Baby, we in the last two hours of Le Mans here, okay? You got to get all the way through the line, and you got to make as much of a lead as you possibly can. But for us, this means, finally, the CFP committee saw what we have been seeing for weeks. For years, dating back to last year, to the year before, to the year before that, when we had undefeated Central Florida, undefeated San Jose State, undefeated Cincinnati, all these undefeated teams at the end of the regular season who did not have a shot to play for a national championship. And now it seems Cincinnati is two wins away from definitely getting into the college football playoff. And yeah, their their reward for all of this, they get to play the best defense anybody's seen in a decade in the state of Georgia, but Georgia is a team that they're familiar with. Georgia is a team that they took to the wire in the Peach Bowl last year. Georgia is a team that I think they want every bit of. They think they have unfinished business against Georgia. I would watch Georgia play Cincinnati. I'm here for it. Jerome Ford, run that ball. Sauce Gardner, go get your picks, baby. Make sure you get through East Carolina and the conference championship unscathed, all right? I'm here for you, Cincinnati. We're all here for you. The state of Ohio though, is the state of Ohio is responsible for half the college football playoff. Like, that's ridiculous. That's awesome. Number two, Ohio State. Look, this game in Big Noon had my full attention, Ohio State, Michigan State. Why? Because I thought that even with Michigan State's horrendous pass defense, giving me absolute just nightmares and PTSD for the 2018 Oklahoma Sooners pass defense, got destroyed. Look, I didn't expect for the friendly skies of Michigan State to be attacked by an F-22 Raptor that is the Ohio State aerial attack. See, Raptor, not Tomcat, because turns out the Venn diagram of college football fans and aviation enthusiasts is a perfect circle. So y'all had me 100% out of pocket on that, but I'm back. F-22 Raptor. Because if you're the CFP committee and you don't watch every game like me, you looked down at your phone and was like, wait a second, it's 49 nothing at half against a team that we ranked inside the top 10? I, I think that's good enough to leap Ohio State into the number two spot. I think that's a little bit, right? 
Because Ohio State is also on pace, on pace, hashtag on pace, to do what only one other program in the history of the sport has done. My 2007 alma mater, Tulsa Golden Hurricanes, where you have a 4,000-yard passer, three 1,000-yard receivers, and a 1,000-yard rusher. But for me, it's even more sickening than that. It's sickening than that because you have a first-year starter and redshirt freshman at quarterback. You have a true freshman at tailback who went over 1,000 yards in the first 10 games. You have not just three wide receivers that are going to end up with 1,000 yards, but the two dudes behind them are the number one player at wide receiver in 2021 and the number one player at wide receiver in 2020. Julian Fleming and Emeka Ekbuka can't even get to the field because Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson are all that spectacular and good. Matter of fact, as a runner on the Fox Sports app in my advance of Ohio State-Michigan in the game, look here, man. Jameson Williams was the third best receiver in production at Ohio State last year, but number four on the depth chart for anybody that was watching the games. That dude went into the portal transfer to Alabama. That dude's got 59 catches, 1,218 yards at Alabama. He's the best wide receiver at Alabama. And he wouldn't see the field at Ohio State. Are you kidding? That's how sickening that offense is. But also to this point, we saw the Belitnikoff Award finalists come out today, and there was nary a wide receiver from Ohio State on it. To which my man's Joel Klatt, my man's Brady Quinn, right? They all got on the tweets, and they told everybody, look, we like these dudes. We like the guys y'all picked. But you telling me you can't pick one guy from Ohio State to be on this list? Are you kidding? And I think they're right, right? I think that's, that's a high take. That's not, it's not super in the weeds there, but it, even so, I'm thinking Jackson Smith and Jigbo with 69 catches and over 1,000 yards. You can put that dude on your finalist list. You know what I mean? He's probably going to go off this weekend. And it's a big game for him to go off in this weekend because, as you'll notice, number five is Jim Harbaugh's Michigan. Now, we're talking about what is probably going to end up being a college football playoff elimination game, right? That's what we want for the game, right? The awesome, most awesome rivalry in the sport, right? The games. Matter of fact, it's not just two versus five. It's Jim Harbaugh's never beaten Ohio State. Ryan Day has never lost to Ohio State. I mean, it's, it's like that. But if you're Jim Harbaugh and you're Michigan, you're going, we're a good football program. Like, we're, we're, we're a really good football program. We're this close to elite. And the reason we can't say elite is because we ain't played in no college football playoff. And the reason we ain't played in no college football playoff is because we play in the Big Ten East with this team, with Ohio State, with our rival, right? Like, there's folks like Joel Klatt, again, who are going to abolish divisions. I'm with this. I like this. I like the way the Big 12 gets down. And Michigan's probably saying the same thing because that would mean they probably end up seeing Ohio State in the Big 10 championship instead of in the game for the Big 10 East title, right? Because that seemed to have belonged to the Scarlet and Gray. And I have no reason to believe that's not going to be the case this week because I think that offense in an offensive-minded game like football is more important than how well you play defense. I don't need my offense to be elite or awesome every single snap of every play. I have to have that for my defense for it to be sustainable, right? So with Ohio State, you can go three and out a couple times. You can still put up 49. With Michigan, if you miss, they're going to hit you over the head. Ask Mel Tucker how that went for him. As every possession that Ohio State had in the first half, they went for six, all right? And they can do it any way you want to do it. And they have absolute... Monsters up front, going between 6'3 and 6'8. They got four tackles on the offensive line. It's ridiculous out there. But if you are Michigan, 
You got a shot here, and that's all you ask for. And the way that you're going to have to beat Ohio State is the way that I think I'm getting tired of seeing. Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, they got to run the ball to play defense. I get everybody wants to run the ball and play defense, but you know what you can't do and come back from a deficit? Run the football. Because math says the clock's running when you're running the football. I can hit you for six in six seconds or less throwing the football. I can't do that running the football. I can't do that being ball control. I can't do that doing this trench warfare stuff that y'all trying to make cool again. No, you got to spread it out and you got to be aggressive. This is why Ohio State is looking at having three wide receivers that go for 1,000 yards when they've only had five wide receivers go for 1,000 yards in their history. It's why a dude like Chris Olave, who is super fluid, who is super smooth, who is absolutely paused and ready for the NFL, is the least talented dude in that wide receiver room, and yet has the most receiving TDs in school history. Ahead of a dude like David Boston, who was the first-team All-American and an absolute monster at wide receiver, both at Ohio State and in the league, all right? Ryan Day got out there and said, why don't we run the ball and throw the ball deep? Why don't we do both of those things? Stupid. But Blake Corum hopefully is back for this game. Hassan Haskins has been a dude for them. If you're Ohio State, just force Cade McNamara to beat you, and you're probably going to win. If you make Cade McNamara throw the ball 30 times, you're probably going to win that game if you're Ohio State, right? But that being said, one team is going to play in the Big Ten Championship, and one team has still an opportunity to make the college football playoff. Otherwise, you're staring at another Citrus Bowl where you might end up there with a number three Alabama should they get beat down by Georgia in the SEC title game such as it is, right? The winner here, though, for me is number six Notre Dame. And the reason that is because two got to play five and one got to play three. So one of them teams of those four has to catch an L. And if only one of those teams catches an L, like, say, Ohio State, Michigan, or Alabama, you sliding in there, right? And you sliding in there without a, without a conference championship. And the reason I knew you sliding in there without a conference championship is not because I just think that Notre Dame is that good. It's because the committee doesn't even respect its own protocol. We know this because it was ranking Michigan ahead of Michigan State, though Michigan State had beaten Michigan and said that its protocol included head-to-head. It does not. It protocol impl- implies we think what we think, Okay. And if they think that Notre Dame is better than a conference champion Big 12 opponent, fine. That's what they think. That's what you're going to have to live with. That's what happens when you lose football games. I say that winning matters. So does losing. Okay? We got two 11-0 teams inside the top four and one 11-0 team outside the top four, which we'll get to here in a second. But Notre Dame, all you got to do is finish the season. Go beat down Stanford, take care of your business, and watch everybody else actually play an extra game and risk losing their seasons. Why you stay at home, once again, looking at the college football playoff committee going, you going to put us in? And they're going to be like, I guess. Are y'all going to do anything? Are we going to have to poke you with a stick? Maybe. But y'all would put us in anyway because we are Notre Dame, because we're the Golden Domers. I'm going to say it again. It bothers me that the ACC decided it wanted to participate in this open marriage with Notre Dame. Be a conference member in football or don't be a conference member in football. But don't let them just go date your entire conference. We're not playing in your conference championship game. Instead, you got to look at perhaps Wake and Pitt, where you could be having Notre Dame and or Clemson in any other year. 
I'm saying though, Jack Swarford going like, why am I, why, why am I going to sign such a lopsided prenuptial agreement if I don't have to? Good for you, Swarbick. I understand. I get it. But if I'm the ACC commission, like something got to change here. Something got to change because I got I got two teams out here playing for it all, and I got Notre Dame sitting at home. I can't have that. Now, past the top six, right? This is where it gets interesting. We got a number seven Oklahoma State team who's ten and one. We have a number ten team Oklahoma who is ten and one, and we got Bedlam, right? For those of y'all that don't know, Bedlam is not a rivalry, okay? Bedlam is a series, all right? Okay, Bedlam is a series because they played this game. They played this game 115 times. You know how many times Oklahoma has won this game? 90. You know how many times Oklahoma State has won this game? 18. Oklahoma's won the last six straight, okay? Now, the Oklahoma State fans will tell you, yo, Bob punted the ball again. Yeah, he did. What have y'all done since then? Any college football playoff? Appearances, any Big 12 championships, any Heisman winners, any number one overall draft picks. You see what I'm saying here? Like, the cream is rising, and the cream in Oklahoma is crimson. I That's what I'm telling you. That's what I'm telling you, all right? Now, you have a good football team in Oklahoma State. They play outstanding defense, and they are able to run the ball so well that Spencer Sanders isn't given opportunities to make, you know, mistakes. That said, he's played the best football that he's played in his entire life. Through one, career, uh, through one season in his career. But I can give you all these points as to why I think Oklahoma can win this game, but I still just going to stick with what does the history tell you? And history is a great predictor of your future. Okay? All right? Look at your recruiting rankings that you love so much. Look at your conference championships that you love so much. Okay? Probably going to end up looking at this game being played again in December. But if we don't, right, let's say Oklahoma State – pulls its one win like it does every six years or so, you end up with an Oklahoma State and possibly a Baylor in the Big 12 championship game, in which case Oklahoma State still has a great opportunity to get into the college football playoff, depending on how the CFP committee feels on December 4th, because it's really going to talk about their feelings and not data. I'm here for building argument with facts, but apparently feelings rule the day because this is college football and it's absurd. Now, if Oklahoma dispatches Oklahoma State with extreme prejudice, we might actually have to look at Oklahoma in a different way come the Big 12 championship, especially if they do it again in Jerry World, right? So there's still a lot to play here. And that's why you see a Baylor ahead of an Oklahoma State, or Oklahoma as well, right, with their losses. Now, another thing that caught my attention here is just how far we saw Oregon fall after getting skull-dragged by Utah, 28-0. And a dude named Britton Covey, who has been playing football, I don't know, about half a decade, <laughs> return one on you. By the way, shout out to Kyle Whittingham, who called a timeout for a half, forced Oregon to punt, and I'm like, you punt, you punt to a dude that's a dead ringer for Hunter Renfro, and that man ran it back on you. Look at, look at this. Oh, look at this. Look, you pointing him out. You know how, how mad I'd be as an Oregon fan. You pointing out, blocking me, and then you run by you like this. Like, I met Britton Covey at Pac-12 Media Days. Tremendously cool dude. Like, I really love it. But he's also been playing football forever. Now, there's those of y'all that are going to be like, yo, RJ, Hunter Renfro's a dog. Yeah, lunch pail kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Works really hard. Hustle kind of dude. Not exactly the kind of dude that I expect to be cooking you on a punt return. Okay? When I think punt return, okay, I think, I don't know, uh, 
let's say um, Antonio Wolf, uh, Antonio Perkins, right? Let, let's go back in the day, back when dudes was really returning punts for touchdowns a lot more. I just don't expect a dude named Britton, you know, to go run one back on me. That said, Oregon, falling as far as they did, also shows you how much the committee hated having them in their top four. Like, they just didn't like it. Because they, they took it out on them. Because they were going, hey, look, we let you slide on the loss to Stanford. We're not going to let you slide on the loss to Utah, even though they might see this Utah team again in the Pac-12. Also, just, you know, let's answer the question. Is the Pac-12 eliminated from contention in the college football playoff? Yes. Did the Pac-12 do it to itself? Absolutely. Like, this is what bugs me the most about Oregon right quick, all right? It's that Oregon was set up to make a go of this. Like, they were given a prime position of saying, hey, all y'all got to do is keep winning. We don't care how you win, just keep winning. And then they messed that up. I have no sympathy for you. And we're talking about a Pac-12 North that isn't decided. Like, with, I think they renamed it Civil War. So I don't think we're able to call that anymore because it's something else, right? But Oregon, Oregon State. That Oregon State team, I watched because I'm watching all the football, is super fun, all right? And they got a dude named the Hammer. It's a linebacker they go hand the rock to. White dude just chugging, right? I love it. Oregon State's a lot of fun. And they're plenty capable of beating down Oregon. You know how I know this? Because Oregon lost to Stanford with Kayvon Thibodeau on the field, okay? It ain't no foregone conclusion. And if things break right, you might see Oregon State versus Utah in the Pac-12 championship next Friday if we look at this thing correctly, all right? Now, BYU is laying the cut at number 13, Michigan State at number 12. Michigan State, they still got some stuff to play for with the land-grant trophy and whatnot, but how is it? it it's kind of cool to me that we've seen USC open up, we've seen LSU open up, we've seen Washington open up, we've seen Florida open up. James Franklin signs a 10-year deal for to, to remain at Penn State today, right? And then we're talking about Mel Tucker, who apparently is in negotiations to stay at Michigan State. That's kind of cool to me, right? Because it means that your fans are not taking their head coaches for granted, even in seasons where they expected to do more, but they're not doing as much, right? So this land-grant trophy might actually be up for more than you think, especially since James Franklin sat down with me at Big Ten Media Day and said, we don't really have a rival in the Big Ten because we've been independent for so long. And then he, then he brought up Michigan State and the land-grant. I bet it means something this week. I bet it means a lot. This week, I bet you want to make sure everybody knows if you beat Michigan State that you beat Michigan State. Like, I, I, I will write that one down. Like, that was low-key college football fans is fired up about that one. Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington on one side, knowing that all Michigan State has been doing is giving up the booty on the back end. Just, hey, there's our buried treasure. Go get it. My goodness. All right. Then we got number 14, Wisconsin, who is at the top of a really interesting Big Ten West, all right? Wisconsin basically screws up the flow chart by just winning. If they go and beat Minnesota this week, they are the Big Ten West champ, like many people would have guessed to start the season, but not halfway through the season. And they would play the Big Ten East division champ, which is going to be either Michigan or Ohio State for the Big Ten title. But if they lose, then all hell breaks loose. Iowa's there, you know, we'll see what happens with the Minnesota win. Like, it's, there's a whole bunch that can uh, happen. But... But that dude, Braylon Allen, who you're going to hear for the 85th time on this show, is just 17 years old and doesn't turn 18 until January. Good luck, okay? Like, talking to one of my Wisconsin homies, and he told me that Braylon Allen to him is a 17-year-old Derrick Henry. I don't disagree. 
and that ought to terrify the Big Ten. Because if that dude can hold up for the next two years, I don't think anybody's going to bring him down with any sort of, you know, regularity because that is a, that's a, that's a 17-year-old squatting 600-plus pounds. That means by the time that dude is 19, 20 years old, we're looking at an 800-pound squat, Okay. The last dude that I saw that could squat 18, uh, 18, 800 pounds was Neville Gallimore. And he played the nose at Oklahoma and is a Dallas Cowboy. It's not regular, okay? Now, if you ever get a quarterback, or I should say if Graham Merch grows into the kind of quarterback that even resembles Russell Westbrook, Wisconsin is going to be elite because Jim Leonard apparently just wants to be defense coordinator at Wisconsin for as long as, you know, they're going to allow it. Instead of taking one of these open jobs like, you know, LSU, Washington, USC, Florida. Why isn't this man getting more phone calls? All he's doing is turning out outstanding defenses and keeping Wisconsin in every single game. My goodness. Hey, A&M, they beat up on PVA and m this week. Fine, whatever. PVA and m and Jackson State going to be in the SWAC championship, which, by the way, has your boys full interest because we're talking about a 7-3 and uh PVA and M and a 10 and 1 Jackson State. So we got Coach Prime on one side and we got the legend of Billy Nicks Panthers on the other side. Swack gonna be all the way live. More about the FCS here in just a little bit. Okay. 17, we got Pittsburgh. I don't necessarily agree with this uh, because Pittsburgh put money in the bag against Western Michigan. They thought we forgot, but I did not because we did that segment right here on the show. But Kenny Pickett has been slinging the ball all the way around. Mark Whipple is a Broyles Awards semi-finalists, right? It should be because all they've been doing is running it up on folks and they're in the ACC title game. Like that Pat Narduzzi did that thing. He got people talking about pit football in a town where all they say is Stillers. Every five seconds. Stillers and Youngland. Stillers. That's what we want. Towels and Stillers. Matter of fact, one of my favorite bits on the YouTubes is Pittsburgh Dad. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go check it out. But that dude was apparently on the sideline on a Thursday night game for a pit game and they were like, he's looking around, what, what colors, why are we wearing these alternate uniforms? And they, and they said, that's not an alternate, that's the University of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh got a football team that ain't the Steelers? I fell out. Now they know! Now they know, right? First time since Larry Fitzgerald, Aaron Donald, that they had to recognize what Kenny Pickett and them is doing. Kenny Pickett might actually backdoor into the Davey O'Brien Award here if y'all not lucky. Or if y'all not careful. Bryce Young, you better be on it with the Iron Bowl in Auburn. It's like that, okay? CJ. I know you look at 4,000. I know you went for 400 yards and two and a quarter football. But Kenny Pickett has been that dude, all right? Wake Forest, they don't like y'all at all. CFP committee doesn't like y'all at all. Y'all took an L. Y'all dip. And not only y'all took an L, y'all took an L to a Clemson team that is now ranked off of beating the brakes off of you. And I watched some of that game. Like, Dabo Sweeney was having so much fun in that game. <laughs> That man was looking at Will Shipley going, I'm going to let Will Shipley throw jump passes. That's how little I think of your defense, Dave Clawson. I had so much fun with that game. Going, oh, Clemson feeling themselves. Now, look, I thought that this year Clemson was going to be DJ Uwe Ungalale and a bunch of low spades, and that's not what it turned out to be. It turned out to be a two of spades and a bunch of hearts and clubs. Like, that's what it turned out to be, Right. DJ Uyunglele has only started to look like that dude that he looked like last year here just lately. But you needed to come together against South Carolina because South Carolina is a good football team. As a matter of fact, people ridicule Shane Beamer being hired. I love Shane Beamer, right? 
Dude was offensive assistant at Oklahoma before getting this job. And like Dabo, maybe the only FBS coach uh, coaching today who was never a coordinator before being a head coach, right? Went and got a win against Florida, knocked them off, right? Was the first person to sound the alarm but also score on Georgia, right? And they're looking at perhaps a winning season if they get past what is the number 23 team in the country this week in the Palmetto Bowl. I know that Dabo Sweeney is used to being state champs, but now you've got a contender down there with the Gamecocks. I know Javion is very excited about that, and he should be, quite honestly, because I might owe him at the end of the bet because Javion told me they were going to get seven wins, and they two wins from seven, but, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I still don't see it. We'll, we'll see. All right, then we got Utah number 19 off the win against Oregon. We talked about that a little bit. Number 22, let's talk about UTSA. Okay. Y'all know that I think the world of UTSA, okay? And them, them being number 22 at 11-0, I think is insulting. I think it's insulting to me. I think it's insulting to you because it tells us that winning doesn't matter, but also that winning is super easy. Now, at one point on my Saturday, I had five games going, right, in the afternoon window, and this one was one of them because UTSA had to claw its way back against the defending conference champions, UAB Blazers. And with time running out and the ball in the Midas territory, I watched Frank Harris and Sincere McCormick and the gang absolutely go down the field on a UAB defense that had been stymieing them all day. They made play after play. Frank Harris fumbled the snap. Like, look at this. He picks it up off the ground and tosses it with his left hand. It gets tipped. My man catches in the back of the end zone, Alamo Dome. People go crazy as they were down four. UTSA, if nothing else, is a team of destiny, right? They're having a tremendously magical season, and I want that to be respected. There are 130 teams playing FBS football. Only three of them are 11-0. Two of them are ranked inside the top four of this ranking, and the other one is UTSA, okay? Winning is not easy, and winning every week is even harder. I respect that because Ain't nobody else been able to do it with any sort of regularity. That's why we count winning streaks, right? Sincere McCormick, outstanding story, right? I'm really interested in to see how the NFL evaluates him after the season because I think that that dude is low-key going to be a 10-year starter in the NFL. But another point to raise about UTSA is they need Cincinnati to lose, or not to lose, to stay there because they're in the top four now. They need Cincinnati to stay in the top four. Then they need perhaps BYU to take an L. And then they're probably staring at the highest ranked group of five ranking, which means that they would get into a New Year's Six Bowl. Do you realize what it would mean for a football program like UTSA that is two minutes old, like literally started a program in 2011 and jumped right into the deep water of the FBS to make a New Year's Six Bowl after 10 years of playing? That is unheard of. That, I would tell you that was impossible, but it also speaks to two things. It speaks to just how committed the University of Texas San Antonio system, right? The entire university, president on down, has been to fielding an outstanding football team and paying for one, quite honestly. And number two, what this UTSA 2.0 actually has been able to do because the team or the group of people that started UTSA football, Larry Coker and them, is not the people that are running it today, right? you got a whole different athletic director. you got a whole different head coach, but you have some synchronicity among them, 
right? We're talking about Dr. Campos and Jeff Trailer being eye-to-eye, one-to-one on this, and they feel like they've got the entire support of their president to go do what they need to do to be competitive, so much so that they're moving into the American, right? They're, they're leaving the CUSA because they keep going up. But also, Jeff Trailer wants to not just recruit the state of Texas, but the 210 area. It's on the side of their helmets, people, because I know y'all ain't watched no college football with UTSA on it because I'm the dude telling you about it. Y'all keep telling me I'm crazy. If you watch UTSA football, you wouldn't think I'm so crazy since you want to talk about who's watching games and not. But go watch them play football, and you'll see it's a good football team. Them boys is big. Them boys is fast. Them boys want it, and they mostly coming from the 210 area code. This is when you got college football teams, Texas Christian, Southern Methodist, Baylor, Houston, Right? That's before we get into Power 5. That the state of Texas can field that many football teams and that many football teams can be good tells you just who I think is the best in the country, best in the world, Craig, type flight of the world, Craig, at fielding and preparing high school football players. Right? It's why we pay attention to Texas high school football. But also, as we're getting toward the end of this, I want to talk a little bit, just a little bit, about a little thing I like to call a 2014 playoff. All right. Now it's about to get fun. So on Sunday, the FCS 2014 playoff was revealed like they do every friggin' year. Okay. And it looks like this. They have chosen to go with what I think is a really cool format. There are 127, 125, 125 FCS teams currently today, right? Number one overall, Sam Houston, 11 and 0. They're moving up. But We'll get to that in here in a second. Somehow, the football championship subdivision thinks that it's just fine to have a 2014 playoff. And yet, you FBS people who apparently don't watch anything else but FBS football think that this is sacrilegious. No, this is how you decide a champion in a sport with over 100 teams. You have. Automatic qualifiers. You have at-large bursts. You seed them, but you also reward being great. Now, check this out, all right? This is what you need to know about the FCS playoffs, okay? So they have 24 teams there, okay? They have 11 automatic qualifiers. I have 10, so you'll see 10 here. 10 because we have 10 FBS conferences, and I believe that every conference champion should be allowed to play automatically in this tournament of champions, right? In the NFL, they call those divisions. It's not hard. In the NCAA, they call those conferences. It's not hard. Then they have 14 at large bursts for me, but they have 13 in the FCS, right? So you still get to pick and choose which teams you want to get in. Okay. That's important. The top eight teams will be seeded. That's also important because they're building in buys for those top four teams, right? And then when you get into the first round, it's regionalized for your travel which is kind of like what we do in the college football playoff where we don't make the higher-seeded team travel farther than the lower-seeded team, which is why you could see, like, perhaps if Oklahoma were to make a college football playoff and be the number one seed, Lord help me, they would probably go to, like, a Cotton Bowl, you know what I'm saying, or a Sugar Bowl, as opposed to an Orange Bowl or a Rose Bowl, right? That's Or a Peach Bowl, because you don't want to make that higher team travel as far as the lower seed because traveling actually matters, okay? And then all first and second round games uh, for the FCS are going to air on the plus thing. But for us, I think what's important here is knowing that the FCS plays 11 regular season games. Just 11. 
right? That sometimes includes a conference championship. We play 12. What I'm saying is this hogwash, this poppycock, this garbage, if I'm going to use the French term, that says the kids would play too many games is absolute fallacy, farce, and stupid. Because an FBS or FCS team here who plays in the first round could play 16 games. Okay? Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Let me tell you this. The players in the college football playoff national championship game will have played their 15th game at the end of it. We're talking about one game here. And if you really care that much, you can build in another bye week and you can start the season a week earlier. And you can keep your bye games. You can keep your garbage cupcake game, Alabama against New Mexico State. You can keep your garbage cupcake game against Charleston Southern, Georgia. You can keep your garbage cupcake game, Western Carolina, Oklahoma, okay? You can do that. He's building another game. And for some teams, this just means adding another conference game, like, say, the Pac-12, when perhaps they go to, you know, eight conference games, who knew, and perhaps give themselves a better opportunity to make this playoff. But another thing that I think is important about all of this is the FCS doesn't really make a whole lot of noise about how they choose their champion, and yet they start playing the week of Thanksgiving, and they don't stop playing until January 8th. For us in the FBS, we could do the same thing, okay? All you got to do is move the schedule back one week, and it works. Now, I'm not even proposing a 2014 playoff. I just want you to be able to see it here. Because imagine seeing Georgia in that one spot where Sam San Jose State is, right? Imagine that you get your at-large berth from perhaps your Conference USA champ or, or runner-up, right? I think those things are important to recognize and to see unfold because, for me— I want to see a team like UTSA, who's in a magic season, who is the best story in college football, have an opportunity to go see what they're made of, if nothing else. Because that's what I want for myself. That's what I would want for my kids. I would want them to be able to push the limits of what we all think they're capable of and push the sport forward. Because that's what playing is about. That's what being competitive is about. That's what competition is about. Am I good enough? And we all love these stories. And I keep saying it, man. Just because you are the strongest doesn't mean the strongest can't get their butt kicked. All right? And I'd like to see what the Roadrunners with the birds up could do against an Alabama, against a Cincinnati, against an, a Georgia or an Ohio State. And it might go the way you think it goes. Maybe they lose 76-0, to but they'll know. And it won't be us getting in their way. Okay. Last thing that I wanted to add to all of that as you chew on it is simply that we're the crazy people here rooting for FBS teams. Just take a look at all these other sports that you claim to like, whether it be the NFL, whether it be soccer, whether it be basketball, hockey. You know, I'm here for the fights, but I'm not necessarily here for the skates and the skill because I can't skate or have skill, but I'm here to fight. It would seem asinine to anybody else that loves another sport that we don't have a for real playoff. That we don't let half the teams that play into the playoff like, you know, most other sports. That we don't have a definitive way of picking a national champion and that we would have something like a poll to tell us what we think the best teams are as opposed to just saying, hey, line up and go play. Just think about that. And why do you want to be the straw man? Why do you want to be the outsider here as opposed to, hey, look, what I think is great about this sport is that I know who the best is. All right. 
that is going to do it for this episode of the number one ranked show. Oh, real quick. Uh, be on the lookout for our live tailgate. Uh, Ohio State, Michigan. That's coming up. That's going to be a lot of fun. And for some news about the Big Ten Championship regarding yours truly here coming up. Uh, keep you, uh, Keep it locked. And we'll keep you up as we go into the bowl schedule about what the schedule for the show is going to look like henceforward. I know we have another college football playoff ranking show to get through before we get to Selection Sunday. And that's going to be a lot of fun because there's going to be some moving and shaking in this rivalry week. All right. Our intrepid producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Niles Owens is on the switches. That is Tyler Wojak as our associate producer. And our social media manager is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohen. And our executive producer is Kristen Herlihy. That is it for me. Doses. <laughs>